Welcome to Inquiring Minds, the Writing and Literacies SIG podcast. Our podcast aims to highlight scholarship, discuss con contemporary issues, and engage in conversation with SIG members and the greater writing and literacies field. Through engaging in dialogue, we hope to ignite nationwide discussions amongst faculty and graduate students concerning topics that are timely and pertinent to the scholarship concerning the relationship between writing, literacies, and the broader field of education. Today's episode is one that of what we hope will kick off a series uh, with senior scholars in writing and literacies who are going to talk all things scholarship, writing, and publication process. My name is Anna Smith, and I am now the past chair of the Writing and Literacy SIG and host for today's episode, um, along with Leslie Knoll and Sarah Jarasa <laughs> um, from the Writing and Literacies SIG Graduate Student Board. We are here to support the technical aspects of the conversation on the back end. Um, but we want to turn the conversational space over to Dr. Lee Patel, Dr. Tasha Austin, and soon to be Dr. Christopher Rogers um, to continue a conversation that started on Twitter last year. Uh, Dr. Patel tweeted a GIF with the actor Jason Moma, who was saying finally at an awards event. And she wrote the message, a paper I submitted in 2015 and have reworked twice was accepted today. This was in 2021. <laughs> so Dr. Austin responded, congrats. And also as a PhD candidate, terrifying. And she included some appropriate emojis there. <laughs> and Dr. Patel responded with some wisdom that I remember I actually took a note to like a reflective question I wrote down afterwards. Um, and she tweeted back, thank you. And please don't be too terrified. While reviews took a while and I was trying to do too much in one piece, it needed to be reworked a few times. Revising is where the magic happens. P.S. Every PhD whose work you like has had to rework and sometimes let pieces go. So I thought we could start here with our introductions. Uh, can each of you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work and something you are currently revising, or in other words, working magic on uh, in your scholarship? Then we'll see where the conversation takes us. Um, Chris Rogers, I uh, take he, him pronouns. I'm currently located in Philadelphia, or otherwise known as the occupied lands of uh, Lenape Hokies. Um, and um, I mean, I do a number of different things in terms of my uh, dissertation or graduate school work. I am a, a doctoral candidate in reading, writing, and literacy, uh, where I study uh, Black storytelling practices in West Philadelphia. Um, I am currently finishing up data collection and about to head into this writing forest <laughs> and see uh, how it all comes together. I think uh, in terms of you know working on uh, revision, um, I feel like the, the question that is really top of mind for me this morning is about, oh, man, and Dr. Patel's here, so like answerability, right? Thinking about how to orient the type of writing and work in the stories that we've I've collected for over the past six to eight months and the type of platform that a dissertation allows and thinking like what who am I writing to in this thing it's just and and uh, and, uh, and what am I trying to tell them at the end of this I, 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 I don't know maybe I'm searching for the extra strategy on the way in but I want to be able to see it uh, so in terms of, you know, what I'm working on is, you know, trying to see a way through uh, this thing and knowing that, you know, it, it, it twists and turns, but 
at least you have an idea of what your intention is when you go in. Um, so really grateful to be here with you all and really grateful for the conversation. And thanks for having me. Uh, I'll jump in after you, Chris. Thank you so much, um, Anna, for inviting me, for putting us together, for lurking on that exchange, being a part of that Twitter exchange. Like um, I always say I went to Twitter University, so I really put myself <laughs> out there when I, when I answered Dr. Patel, that was like really, really me. Um, so just thank you for picking up on that. I am Tasha Austin. I am uh, the incoming uh, assistant professor of teacher education languages, education, and multilingualism at uh, SUNY Buffalo, the Graduate School of Education. Um, I'm actually graduating in a, a week and change um, with, <laughs> thank you, uh, with a PhD um, focused on language education, actually, and my research is really um, looking at the manifestations of anti-Blackness in language education. And so I did the three paper route. So in terms of um, what I'm revising, um, one of my papers um, was recently published, but a second one has been under review and I'm in that back and forth right now, but it's, a, it's actually a beautiful process. I've never seen this before. I was actually assigned a mentor um, during the revision process. So it's probably the most idyllic experience I could ever describe to have a senior scholar um, asked me about like, would I really want this paper to do um, when so much of like, at least how I felt um, in the doctoral student doctoral candidate phase was like, churn them out and <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> I was very much like, I gotta get out of here, you know, not to rush, but to, um, to make sure that I wasn't, I guess, following all the threads. I always say like, I'm a kite who needs a string so to, to, to rein it in um, and to have someone who's willing to talk you through some things to ensure that what you're doing is what you intended to do and you're not kind of following one of those ancillary threads has been a beautiful experience. So currently that's what I'm doing, revising paper two and really, really um, hoping to tap into my voice more um, than I have been you know, in the past few years. So again, thank you for having me. I'm excited to, to have this conversation. I'll jump in. Thank you all. Um, thank you, Sarah and Leslie, for the work that you're doing as graduate students um, and for this gathering. Thank you. Anna, Anna, what do you prefer? Anna, Anna? Either one works, but usually Anna. <laughs> thank you, Anna, for... Um, for organizing this and, and bringing us all together. Uh, my name is Lee Patel, and it's truly a, a pleasure to be in dialogue with, um, with Chris, who I've been able to be in dialogue with a few times. Leslie, it's wonderful to be to meet you and Sarah and Tasha. What a joy to meet you, and, be, and I'm excited to talk with you a bit more. Um, so I think a couple of things that might be helpful just at this point to mention in terms of me and um, my relationship to writing is it wasn't until I until I started um, having being in a writing group, which we kept calling a group, even though there was two of us, but we called it a group because it, the group ethos just felt better like, oh, we're like writing partners because it felt more like a group um, with a person whose name is Wayne Rhodes. And um, I unlearned, I got to unlearn so much of 
the ways that writing is taught. I got to unlearn the ways that writing is um, marked sometimes in red ink. It doesn't have to be read to communicate new, new, new. Um, and I got to unlearn, Tasha, thinking about what, what you were saying, I got to unlearn this rush of product. Um, and it that unlearning just created space for me to you know, write things, write things like nobody was ever going to read it um, and then go back to it. And sometimes write things and go back to the writing and be really surprised at like, oh, wow, this part here. Oh, I got to start with that part. I thought I was going to lead up to that, but I'm going to start with that part. Um, so I, in other words, I've, I've been able, because of that unlearning that Wayne Rhodes helped me so much with, because he's a composition professor. Um, and he is, it's important to mention also that he is in one of the most um, liminal spaces in the academy. He's a, he's a clinical appointed person who has been teaching first generation uh, young people in Boston for decades how to unlearn their relationships with schooling, schooled writing, and relearn writing as a way of thinking, writing as a way of relating. So, um, I, I show up this morning with ingratitude for being in that writing group that we, we still try to make sometimes try to make it's still, it's not quite the same as getting together um, every Friday afternoon on a porch and responding to each other's writing and then talking, you know, talking about life and everything. So thrilled to be here. It's a little bit of my story with unlearning how, just how awfully writing was taught to me. Uh, I, I love that line, right? Like no one would read it. And I was thinking how, how freeing that would be that I'm not writing for, right? To try to get this published here. I'm going to write what needs to be said um, in this moment um, or what I feel. Uh, I thought that was quite, I wrote that one down. <laughs> I'm taking that one away for already today. Um, how did you, did you come to that? Was that through conversations? Uh, is that something that you just kind of held with you, that idea? Hmm. I should know better. Um, I should be able to remember better. Um, I'm sure there were a few different people who advised me to do that. Um, but it was also something, I, I, I can connect to something to Tasha you said as well. Um, early on, something that helped early on in like the academy, because let me backtrack a second, build it, just bring in another thing. So I um, majored in print journalism as an undergraduate. And when I found myself in a doctoral program, because I didn't intend to do that at all, didn't intend this professor thing at all. Um, my journalism, my, my, my journalism, what, just this scrubby little program that I went to that was wonderful. The ways that most writing happens in the academy would horrify most journalists because like, oh my God, I can hear my journalism professors saying like, you, oh, you're such a bad writer that you have to tell your readers what you're going to say and then signpost it and then summarize it. You're such a bad writer that you have to do this. So some of it comes from that, um, but the writing, like nobody's going to read it, really that, that is um, part of being in this writing group with Wayne. And, you know, he'd ask me from time to time and I would ask him from time to time, like, who, who is it that you're writing to? But we'd also ask each other, like, 
have you figured out what you think about this yet? Because so writing is a way of thinking uh, and writing as an outlet. So writing like nobody's ever going to read it is partially to yes, speak the truth, but also to figure out like, what do I think about this? And I don't really want to process this publicly. Um, and that might be something to add right now as we think about how the how um, the three of us got connected on social media is maybe not process everything publicly and maybe write it for yourself and you know then tweet or IG about it. Um, so yeah, I think that's where that comes from and a couple other things I threw in. I'll, let me be quiet for a while. Can I just jump in and say like, I'm holding myself together because I'm gonna jump in on every other word like, it's so funny because I don't feel like I had a strong foundation in writing at all. It's kind of why my research agenda is what it is. <laughs> like, I'm very much about countering anti-Blackness and language education. I've kind of always been put in a position to like remind, been reminded like you are not a writer. Like you don't do words, you don't do language. Um, that's kind of been what I've experienced. So it's very odd to be in a place where it's like, I'm gonna try to do all the things that I heard you know, in, in the in the hallway outside of the rooms that I wanted to be in, um, in terms of writing, and then finally get to this place where folks are like, what do you think? And I'm like, me? <laughs> That's what it feels like when I write is like, it, 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 there's such a schism between knowing my place in writing, which is like not, and then being front and center where folks are like, no, we want to know and, and say it and say it with your chest. Like that is such a huge leap. And to hear you talk about it in that way of like, you know, why do you want me to first say, I'm about to do this, I'm doing it, I just did this. Like writing like that is so strange for me, um, particularly because like, even in the little scraps, I feel like that I got before the Academy where it's like, no, it's actually you. No, actually we wanna know what you're writing. We actually wanna hear from you. What are your thoughts? Even before that, the little bits that I'd heard and picked up on, you know, in these like spaces where, you know, I wasn't like really being asked my thoughts, it was definitely not a like, I'm going to do this kind of outline approach to, to writing. And even now in the um, revision phase that I have with my mentor who does composition and rhetoric. So yeah, I'm getting my butt kicked. Um, <laughs> you know, she's like, how about we do some signposting? And so it's always a, a strange shift to like, I, I was doing my best to hold on to the little bits that I had heard along the way about like, what should this writing look like? Because I can run my mouth forever, but putting it on paper um, was very much like, that's not for you, right? That's not for, that's not for Black folks. Like you could talk, but writing is not for you. That's very much uh, the spaces that I came through. So it is, this whole process for me is like, fighting demons like writing is like fighting demons for me like putting myself on paper which is like the place that I was like never allowed to be um it's it's a wild experience so it, having someone to I don't know if this is my Wayne my <laughs> this person giving me feedback um she's absolutely like I look up to her so much and I trust her I think almost trust might be what it takes to coax my thoughts out of me um, in the way that maybe uh, maybe they used to be, right? Maybe before all the red penning um, that you talked about, because red penning like happens on paper, it happens verbally, it happens in so many ways. We get red penned enough that we begin to red pen ourselves. So I feel like maybe I've constructed 
some walls and boundaries for myself that maybe, you know, maybe they're not there anymore um, for where I am professionally. Like maybe I can actually give it a go, but I'm so used to the walls. I might be reconstructing them myself. Um, so I just like, I wanted to jump in every other word you said, so I'll. <laughs> I'm 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 listening, and um, I think one thing that I'm hearing from both of you all, from uh, uh, Leigh and, and Tasha, is this reminder, if you will, you know, uh, this quote from Miriam Kaba: "Nothing worthwhile is done alone." Right? Even writing, as we're trying to figure out our voice and what we like to share with the world, the importance of building community around that to be able to like discover yourself in some ways, right? In terms of the writing that you want to put out. Um, and I think that, you know, <laughs> uh, just, you know, from, from, from my position about to head into this sort of like writing project, I would love to learn more about like between the mentorship and the, and the, and the, and the, 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 the mentor that you mentioned in, in this uh, writing group, right? Like how do you set this foundation um, and, and a type of ethic that guides these sorts of, you know, uh, relationship that is about something that is, you know, really intimate, you know what I mean, about the types of uh, work and stories and uh, language that you want to put into the world. And um, yeah, I just would love to learn more about how you all came to like ground that relationship or what are the type of like ethos or, 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 or agreements that you have when you, when you opened up those spaces with, for yourself. Chris, I really appreciate that question because some of the things that Wayne helped me to unlearn was how to provide feedback. And, and so I now incorporate this into every single course I teach because there's text production of some kind. There's knowledge production of some kind going on all the time. Sometimes it's writing. Sometimes people are creating a podcast. Sometimes people are creating a website. So some of it is also like loosening what the genres are. So when I step into the, like my work with Ed Lib, everything can't be like, oh, here's a great article and here's a great article and here's a great article because in that, within that group of people and even just how we might be from day to day or moment to moment, like if you were to hand me something to read right now that was really like it needed the signposting, Tasha, like it would be such a dense writing. I'm like, oh my God, can you signpost this a little bit? Cause what are you talking? out like right now I'm like nope I think I need a podcast this is not I can't do this right now but one of the things that um Wayne helped me to understand or, or invited like that was a, a structure in the writing group is we first exchanged writing with each other every week like a few days before we got together and we would um we would mark it up with like with just two kinds of feedback either like, yeah, nodding, whoa, how did this sound? Can you say more about this? What was that moment like? Or, huh, you kind of lost me here, or this feels like the fifth time you've said this, and, and maybe it's important to say it five times. That's it. Those are the only two beats. Those are the only two uh, registers that we gave each other feedback from. And in the courses that I teach, I also um, teach that as a way of like, I don't want to hear a thing about spelling or grammar. And especially if you have been raised in one of the vernaculars of American English, 
and the person you're working with was not raised in one of those vernaculars, don't, don't be a cop in the writing group. Don't, and don't be in a writing group to sound smarter. That's not why we are in writing groups together. So I hope you don't go into a forest, Chris. I hope that um, you find you find your people and you make a writing group because other people, I can imagine a lot of people would love to be in a writing group with you. And they may, may be working on really different things, but it, and that can be really helpful too. Yeah, I'm listening as much as you are, Chris, because um, this experience, like I said, right now of having a mentor assigned from a journal submission, absolutely novel. Like I've never heard of such a thing and it's beautiful, but it's not going to be forever, right? Like after um, whatever decision comes down, like I don't get to, like I'll try, but I don't think I'll get to keep the mentor. Um, and I think in terms of like, I keep hearing exactly what, um, can I call you Lee or call you Dr. Todd? <laughs> Can I, can I call you Tasha and you call me Lee and Chris, I call you Chris. Is that okay? Let's do that. Let's do okay. that. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, like what Lee was saying about like um, what it looks like to work in community like that. Like that's the dream. That's the pie in the sky for me. And um, I don't know, one of the, I call them the gifts of the pandemic. One of the gifts of the pandemic for me has been the capacity to show up online because I'm pretty like reserved, I'll stick to myself. Like if everything came down to me finding folks in person, it wouldn't work out. So, you know, having been able to read somebody's stuff, tell them how critical they are to my work, email them, catch them on a webinar, follow up through Twitter. Like I literally like Twitter you for real. Like I'm like valedictorian of Twitter you. <laughs> so. I've used it to my benefit to try to identify folks who either through they, their scholarship sound like, um, you know, we, we think similarly or we might be able to help each other. Not everybody responds. Not everybody is that person. But every now and then um, through that type of connection, I'll come across someone who at least for a time, maybe for like an exchange or two, will be a person who's willing to like um, converse with me. And the most helpful people for me have been folks outside of my discipline. So like uh, probably this paper I'm revising right now has been most enhanced by a political scientist who I follow, who just like, I am just in awe of everything she does. And it shifted where my entire dissertation was going just to follow her and get into her work. Um, and she just so happened to be one of those people who was willing to say, yeah, let's jump on a Zoom call and was very giving of her time. Other folks, you know, and this is no shade to anybody, like they didn't respond or they didn't have time or they didn't find my work aligned. And so it didn't go in that direction, but that's goals. Like I want to have a community like that too, Chris. So like, we'll figure it out together. <laughs> I think it's really like, give me pushback on this if I'm wrong. Like, I feel like it's not too hard to make a writing group. I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think it's hard. I don't, I don't think it's difficult. I do think, I mean, the difficulty uh, obviously wouldn't be the, the beginning of it. It would be the sustaining of it, right? If, in, in, in terms of, you know, that, that commitment to one another and the commitment to one another's, you know, process. Um, mm -hmm. I feel the challenge of the writing group is also the challenge of 
do are we headed are we shooting at the same basket i think i heard jay-z say um in terms of um like for example uh you know i am certainly situated currently in literacy studies but i also run a museum that is you know based uh that is a both a, a museum that is based in black studies and black history um and a pan-african history um while also it's a community center that is like meeting meeting the community where they are. Mm -hmm. So the type of language, the type of approach, I like my work to <laughs> one, be in conversation with, with what I feel like the, the best gene, the, the genealogies of black studies, but also challenging the sort of line of uh you say access if you will right of like uh i want to be able at the same time um our building is located right on the 21 bus stop and i i do have a feeling about myself that yes i want it to be i want there to be depth i want there to be uh, a, a genealogy i want there to be history in it but also i want to be able to go to the bus stop and if somebody asks me what i'm doing <laughs> I want to be able to have a conversation with them. Um, and I feel like that that both um, depth of, of study, I, I, I think one of the things that challenges me in education is always like, yo, do y'all recognize me in a cycle <laughs> of like some of these ideas that are coming back with new names, but we, we've been here before. And somehow like we leave people out. And okay, I don't want to get too far in that. But um, I feel like there's just a, a sense of responsibility. And I think uh, um, particularly in like this organizing sort of like space that I'm in in Philly of like, yo, if you're gonna show up, you gotta show up in a particular way. And, and trying to find a community of folks that uh, is like, that understands the importance of that, right? And the importance of that, com that community aspect to it and not just the institutional or disciplinary aspect to it has been the challenge for me. And, you know, I'm someone who's, I mean, I might go in a day, just like on my table now, you got Colson Whitehead, Cedric Robinson, Barbara Ransby, Ashawn Crawley. Like, I'm sort of all between all these different people. And I'm like, but there's something, and yes, but there's something in each of these that I'm trying to pull together and trying to find a community that, that is also you know, listening to the same rhythms and part of that same music, right? And it's trying to uh, figure it out. I'll just say, I don't find it easy to get writing groups together. So I'm gonna continue to listen to how y'all pull that off. But in terms of like um, answerability, right? Um, and in terms of like, who are you writing for and who are you speaking with and who are you writing? You know, all of those questions that we've got to ask ourselves. Um, I've what's given me the most comfort is like having an orientation towards Africana because it seems when I read scholars out of that tradition, they sound like me. And that makes me feel better, you know, like um, earlier maybe in the program, like first years or so of, of pursuing a doctorate, like you read what you're given um, and that will continue to make you feel outside of yourself, completely disembodied from your work and wondering can I bring this up, have this conversation with the people? Um, but 
once I began to really go off that beaten path and just really follow it through references and citations because I didn't have like someone um, uh, even in my committee who was like Africana studies oriented, nothing. So I really had to search on my own and I got connected with folks at HBCUs and I got connected with folks who could give me a bit more guidance. And once I began to read the June Jordan, Sylvia Winters of the world, I was like, oh, you know, Patricia Hill Collins, like I didn't feel like the writing that I was generating was that off the wall. It, it certainly, Chris was like, oh, dang it. I thought I said something new. She said this in 72, you know, like I came across that a few times of like, you know, um, I guess like uh, some of the most critical, um, particularly black scholars, their, their work is just not centered in our programs and whatnot. So like, you don't realize that you're rehashing something that's already been said and done because you don't come across it unless you do your own digging. Um, but, you know, on an ancestral realm, my, co my community is huge. Like I'm in conversation with <laughs> so many folks and, and they, they push me along and they give me company and they give me comfort um, when I write because I literally feel like I'm writing in community with the ancestors. Um, but in terms of actual folks, like particularly, you know, I'm also on unseated Lenape land, Lenny Lenape land, right? I'm over in Jersey and I don't really have like physical folks that I'm here writing with per se. Um, my social media uh, attempts to connect have been successful in different ways. Like my foremost mentors on the West Coast, uh, shout out to Dr. Shea, happy Tina. Uh, <laughs> you know, if it wasn't for her, um, I don't really know if I would have seen myself come through the full process of actually getting something out into the world. Um, but she was very patient with me and that's what helped um, because again, like coming out of a very like um, anti-black writing experience, it's really hard to see yourself, right? Because you internalize a lot of that. You don't realize it. You don't realize how heavily you're policing yourself. Like I have a very, very like solid tendency to police my own writing, not my thinking so much, but the things I'll stop short of putting on paper. Um, mm -hmm. So to be able to like, I guess that's probably why I'm in community so much uh, in, in the abstract, um, you know, with, with thinkers as opposed to feeling like I might be able to reach out and get to somebody. Something that, that came to mind, yeah, it's hard. It, the, finding some folks, but then maintaining that, yeah, Chris, for sure, that is, that's hard. Um, because racial capitalism will have us busy a lot. And even organizing is a lot of work. Like you have to show up again and again and again and again, like to build trust. And I think with writing groups, um, sharing feedback, sharing drafts, it, it does take a, a showing up again and again and again. Tasha and Chris, I'm also thinking about the ways in which so I didn't, I didn't encounter any of what I like texts that I consider to be mentor texts. I didn't encounter any of those things in my doctoral program. It was a a, a friend who handed me a reading by uh, Bell Hooks and said, "I think you might find some of yourself in this." And did I ever? Um, 
and I'm really appreciative of the program that I attended, um, partially because it wasn't this one of one of the it wasn't a research one institution. There was like plenty plenty of neuro concentration of neurosis there, but not in the ways that it happens in top tier institutions. But I bring all that up because I think that one of the things that um, is done consistently across at least most doctoral programs that I think um, is a harmful practice is we, one of the first things usually you have to do as a doctoral student is write a literature review. And this implicitly teaches you that what is behind paywalls counts as knowledge. And, and so that's part of this anti-Black, anti-Indigenous, anti-migrant ways of knowing and ways of speaking, um, ways of communicating. And that's, I'm just going to pause and let that, let me just be with that statement for a second, because it's wrong and it's perpetuated all the time. Um, I remember one time I was asked to speak at a with um, by with another space that was really held together by graduate students, and I said, "Cite your mother," and a number of people have said back to me like that was huge because like don't don't check who you are and those ancestries at the door. Don't even though like implicitly and pretty explicitly, a literature teaches you like, well, this is the only knowledge that you can you can refer to. And I'm thinking of Geneva Smitherman's work as well, right? Like, don't you dare talk bad about my language because you're talking about my mother and then we're gonna get in a fight and you'll lose. Um, so I, I always wish for that kind of like, ah, um, for people to have as, as at least on, on the faculty side is we make commitments to people as doctoral students. We, when people are accepted into programs, when I, I remind myself, I remind my colleagues, like, hey, we made a commitment to this person. And our commitment wasn't, we're going to tell you everything wrong that you're doing. No, that's not the commitment. So it is hard and it's, um, and it's the work for me. A lot of times it's good work. I, I really uh, I appreciate that. And it, and, it, and it makes me think, um, or just, it, it reminds me of, um, refusal um, and what it means to refuse, you know, these sorts of um, harmful, uh, you know, practice or invitations or, or, you know, being asked to labor in these sort of like very constrained uh, sorts of ways or write and compose in these very, you know, ways that don't represent your own ways of knowing and being in the world. And <laughs> and just as Tasha's talked about like the like internalizing the the sort of like cop of of, of it as well, you know, uh, and policing yourself. Uh, I think there's also a part of uh, of me and, and my work that also internalized that like, they're not gonna let you do it. So in order to do what you wanna do, in order to cite your mother, you have to find the folks that have been legitimized or have been uh, accepted in order to give one permission to do such a thing. Um, and in that, um, I kind of really got obsessed with that dude a lot too, because I realized you're talking about like, there's nothing new under the sun, 
oh, there's people out here who have done everything that you want to do and that you want to approach within the world and have been, you know, in some ways celebrated for it or made infamous for it. Um, and I get obsessed and that's why I sort of like live in bookstores and live in libraries and is because I'm like, oh, you, you saying I can't go this way or I can't, you know, uh, 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 write about my experience using this type of uh, uh, lines, but Look at, like you said, look at Dr. Smitherman. Look at, you know, these 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 people who have given us permission. I think someone who's a near peer to me is like Dr. Stephanie Tolliver um, and, and her work uh, uh, in dark and story work. And um, the, the, just the, and talk with her in person is also about the type of, you know, the, 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 the pain and the, and the, the, the rejection and the, the type of, um, just BS that she had to go through to be able to, to do such a thing and come out the other side. And, and now I'm starting to feel the sort of like, we always needed this. And I'm like, and even she's like, y'all weren't telling me that when I was doing it. Um, so like, in some ways it's like this, like this leap of faith that you make, but I always sort of, you know, am challenged by like just educating that, right? And saying that like, there is a community of ancestors, right? That are influencing where I'm going and I want to, to, to know that and I want to be recognized in that. In some ways, the, the challenge of, I always, you know, I, I don't think there's a way around, I don't think there's a, uh, a shortcut, like the, the uh, reward for good work is gonna be more work. Um, so you gotta be willing to do the, the, that, uh, that building to kind of get around these colonizing. <laughs> as writing practices that, that we come through in the, in the academy. Um, so I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm ranting a little bit, but kind of just moving through like, uh, what does it take to refuse? And particularly as we think about the emerging generation, the type of ethic to be able to do that in um, the right way. Like I always say like, you at least know what you're like passing up, right? Or in, in some ways you should be sort of saying like, I, I don't wanna be part of that. Why don't you wanna be a part of that? And being able to articulate that is also incredibly important. And I feel um, like, you know, if we're naming names, that's, that's Lily Hill, that's my grandmother all day. Like my grand, I have my grandmother's spirit and I hadn't seen her in 15 years and I went to see her this year. And I was like, my God, like I was just so grateful to recognize that had come down those generations like from Mississippi to Chicago to Jersey. Um, and I say that because the refusal costs, right? So like my grandmother had to stop school at 12, even though she was in the eighth grade because she was brilliant um, and she had to work and she knew her worth, she knows her worth. And she just took that refusal into the workforce. And she told me stories about, you know, they wanted me to do three people's jobs. And I said, no. And I said, what happened, Grandma? They hired somebody else. Like, you know, she didn't tell me, you know, that she, but it costs, right? And I think what really sits with me deep in my belly is the cost. <clears throat> I think about the gatekeeping and the exclusivity and the self-perpetuation of the academy that ensures uh, low-income, impoverished folks almost like have to give up too much to move in the politic of refusal. So I think about 
who is in a space to be able to say no and who's in a space to be able to say, what do I have to do to keep this income? Um, and so for me, that's been a part of the game too. And there are things that I feel like community is the only solution on that end. You might not have the resources. It might be hurting you too much materially, but if you have community, you might be able to still forge ahead in refusing things that you know are actually deleterious, but you know, being able to progress in a way that's not going to put you in financial precarity. Like that is something that's very real um, for, I guess a number of people, but you don't hear it as much. Um, it's definitely been my case. Like, how do I toe this line where, you know, I'm not gonna kind of like lose out literally on, on being able to pay bills because I said the thing. Um, you know, so there's like this, this level to it that makes me want to continue in the incredible traditions of folks who are like, I'm doing it anyway, but I, I feel deep in my spirit. And even in the ways that I see folks contemporarily, like they got a, they got a squad, like somebody's holding them down to be able to move this way. Um, because that is the function, right. Of, of, of this system where it's like, you're going to walk within these lines or you're not going to be invited back so you know I I feel like it's still coming back to the same question of like how do you find those folks and how do you forge that community because community will take you where capital can't right so like and I definitely don't have uh let me get into the, the discussion of capital if I just loathe the way that word is used in the social sciences anyway but uh, in a material way, you know, I, I don't feel like um, many of us who have the more critical perspectives have the actual material capital to be able to say, well, I'm doing it and I don't care what the consequences, but doing it together may be the only thing that shields us um, in ways that helps us to continue ahead. We need company for all of this. Um the mentor texts, the peop peop human beings who are mentors. Um, yeah, there is a cost of refusal. There is a cost of speaking truth. Um, I'm thinking about uh, like an open statement that I wrote to Boston College when I left and uh, um, because I was like, okay, <laughs> you thought I magically could make students protest let me get out my um, sharpened pen, as Zora Neale Hurston taught me to do. And talking about genealogies and critical genealogies, um, as both, both of you have brought up, and I appreciate the ways you brought it up, I, I feel like that's part of our um, inheritance and responsibility is to ask why was Zora Neale Hurston's work not only not lifted up while she was alive, but actively pushed down by her counterparts? And how does that happen still today? And so Chris, you're saying, and things cycle. And Tashi, we were saying like, you know, oh, it's not like that. Am I saying anything new? And I'm reminded like, it doesn't have to be new. And sometimes it's, it's helpful to 
hear it again at this moment in the way that only Tasha Austin can say it, in the way that only Chris Rogers can say it. With your company, with your posse, with your squad, you are able to say it. But I need to hear it from your respective voices um, so that I stay learning. So I, I need to be reading what you're writing. I need to be learning from what you're organizing. And I'll just say, I remember somebody posing a question to um, Beverly Daniel Tatum at the Alumni of Color Conference that Harvard Graduate School of Education puts on every year. And it's really the, the um, alumni of color who organize that and, and keep it going. And somebody asked um, Beverly Daniel Tatum, um, but what if we're preaching to the choir? And she said, the choir needs practice. So I keep that. I just I just tucked it into my back pocket and I keep it. And um, yeah, I'll say one other thing just real quickly. I was told really early on, and this helped me a lot. And it's not like I met, I consider this person a mentor, but we didn't meet all the time at like even regularly. Like I think we've had like five interactions across 20 years and each one has taught me a whole lot. And in a brief conversation, he said, you have a really strong voice as a writer. Don't let the academy take that away from you. So sometimes it's refusal, but sometimes it's also like, I'm not going to give it my power. It's like the different, uh, at least for me, I think about it is the difference between reading a sixth grader's essay and an eighth grader's essay. The sixth grader's essay is going to give you personality and tangents and feeling. And it's just like, Yes, this is life. And you read an eighth grader and it's like five paragraphs, three statements. And I'm like, what is this? And I'm sorry that you had to go through this. <laughs> so I think there is a, a, a part of it that I, I do recognize, you know, that also, you know, comes back down to how we discipline youth, right, into these sort of harmful practices. Um, I know I cannot leave this conversation without getting into because a lot is about setting the table, but I also want to know just like you know how folks uh, eat, if you will, or how you, you sort of like move the plate around. It's this like Microsoft Word that we're working in with track changes. Like what what are we just like pulling stuff from old Google Docs and copying and pasting and finding ways to make it fit? Like just in terms of like what's in your writing space what's on your screen um and what is like that yeah so like what's that what's that zone what's 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 happening in that space as you're composing it's a mess <laughs> it is such a mess so it's so funny um a good piece of advice that i got at the beginning of my program was like make a little spreadsheet and when you read something um, that's, you know, sticks with you or, or seems important to you. You know, you have your little columns with the citation and the methods and the core takeaways and a couple of quotes. And now I have two Google documents that are, I don't know, about 600 pages a piece that I just continue. And it's, when I say a mess, yes, I know I've heard about the Zoteros, but I don't have the Zoteros. So I'm going to to use this summer to get an actual, you know, like management program, I guess. Um, but I'm glad that I have it, right? Because nothing stopped me from using it. I didn't have to wait for a license. I didn't have to worry about access. I didn't have to worry about learning the system. From the day I started the program, I would drop in things that I felt like 
mattered. And so usually those documents are open, even though they crash a lot because they're way too big. Um, usually that's open. And uh, if it's like writing something fresh, sometimes it, I'm not even at a computer because I'm like walking in circles. Like a lot of stuff just happens up here. Um, and I've gotten my family more acclimated to that because they're like, you know, mommy, mommy, touch and I'm like, I'm working. And it doesn't look like I'm working because I'm just walking. Um, but that, like, I think most clearly, and I come up with most of my cogent thoughts, not sitting at a computer. And when I can't think, that's when I dig into the literature and I start reading. Um, I think it was Baldwin that's like, read, 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 read. And when you can't read anymore, then you write. And so um, that's usually what it looks like. Like I'm physically doing something when the ideas are coming, when I can't think, that's when I'm reading. And when I need to actually pull it together, it's those huge ginormous documents <laughs> that I'm pulling from um, that kind of helps me weave it together. Revision is a whole other beast, but uh, in the originating the, the actual pieces, like usually it's some combination of those things. I cannot remember my password for Zotero to save my life. I have no idea what it is. And I, I, I mean, there was a time when I was like, Zotero, Zotero, Zotero on Scrivener. Make sure you use Scrivener, solid investment. Like, yeah. um, so I'm not using either of those things these days, um, which is fine because I've just remade my living quarters in my mother's basement because I've gotten to take care of her and her care of me during the pandemic. And I don't plan on stopping. Um, I used to have a dartboard. I am horrible at this. Like there are, there are little holes all around this dartboard, but just to get up and move, um, also walking. And so Anna, Anna, you had asked this question, like what, what we might speak to initially, like, what are we revising? I was like, I'm not revising anything. I don't think. And then I remembered Tasha, thank you for reminding me. Oh yeah. I've been thinking a lot about should we put into hospice this um, flattened practice of positionality statements or should we actually, that's the thing I've been revising in my head. Then um, I've been able to think with um, Cati del Frios about that and that's a gift in my life. So that's that's the mess, that's my mess, Chris. That's how it looks right now. It's like, I don't have a dartboard anymore, uh, but I go for walks and I scribble things down. It's, it's all over the place. And sometimes I'm like, oh yeah. I was thinking about this and yeah. Yeah, and I'm revising. Like, do we put it in hospice? Kathy doesn't want to put it in hospice. I'm like, I don't know. This whole genre of like, I'm a blah, 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 blah. And, you know, enjoy gardening and Thai cooking on the weekend. Like, what? <laughs> Who are you in this piece? I love that because it reminds me of just like the all the um I think it's like the the moves, the sort of like uh you know diversity. It feels very like uh yeah, diversity in in inclusion statement. Posturing. It's right, posturing. The posturing, the shortcuts, and it's <laughs> how can you say it? like I always come out of those uh statements with the same feeling of like. That sound nice, but I still don't trust you. <laughs> I, I'm like, I, I can tell you my census information. It doesn't actually know you mean you know anything about me, right? And why I'm asking this question, why I get to ask the question, why I get to write it about it, and how 
to put it in a nicer way, um, I got a rejection from Beacon Press when I first sent them a book proposal and they've always been my dream press. And like, this is the gift of, that can happen in feedback is um, I had a flip phone at that time if it just helps to like time travel a little bit. So this the Beacon reached back out to me and they said, um, this editor who's not, I think is retired, had said, um, Liam, I'm going to give you a call sometime this week. And so my phone lit up. I was driving. I pulled over and I had like no papers. So I'm writing like on the backs of envelopes or whatever I can find in my car. And he said, we are not going to give you a contract for this book. And he, he continued to tell me things for about 20 minutes. And it has helped me so much. He said, we're not going to give you a contract. Um, you are a beautiful writer. These are amazing stories. Is there something about you that draws you to these stories of migrant youth and the very adult responsibilities of the care? I'm like drinking in the smiles and like the 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 listening, Chris, and the smile, Tasha. And I was like, oh yeah, I was an emancipated minor at 15, and I'm the daughter of migrants. And he said, yeah, that would be good for you to tell the readers because they want to know whose senses they are are experiencing this like people want to, i want to know chris i want to know what about you is in it the whole way tasha i want to know like that's part of it like it it matters that it's from tasha it matters that it's from chris so yeah i mostly want to put those things into hospice and and have it be like all the way through how like people were anyway i'll say this last thing with Gloria Zaldúa, like Borderlands, like that entire book is about positionality. So where's a positionality statement? And like, it's the book, the whole book. Patricia Hill Collins, every single book. Thank you both for saying that, just for thinking about how do you do it? And then where are you in it? That's my forever fight. That's my, the mentor, the mysterious mentor I keep speaking about is the inimitable April Baker Bell. Um, who like is the perfect person to have me sit, take three seats. She, she had me sit down all the way down, right? Because she was able to say, where are you? Because in talking to her, I was front and center. And then in, in reading my paper, she was like, where'd Tasha go? So this is definitely a confirmation. I appreciate y'all so much just for kind of ground in this whole conversation that way because this is a space I'm still in I'm in the middle of revising this and it is a piece that's very much about my experience but I don't really put that in there <laughs> so I appreciate it because it's hard it's hard to come back to yourself when the whole um, institutional process is about disembodying you it's quite a journey back to self so I appreciate so much hearing this for real I mean one of my you know, final thoughts or why I find my sort of like space in, in even, you know, entering this conversation into this conversation has been about, yeah, it has, it has been about a community, but it's also about like um, claiming, claiming our, you know, permission to do the type of writing that feel that we feel in our hearts. Um, and I, I, as I came through this academic process, uh, I, I do see people who are like tenured senior scholars who are like risk, risking, like they, you, you read their writing and it's like, 
this feels like them, you know? And I always have this, this challenge or this question of like, whether you had to go through the pain of that to be able to come into that knowledge later, or if there's a way that we can build community and protect and not, you know, but build some sort of like brave space uh, with, uh, you know, graduate students and folks who are on the front end of this, that we don't have to learn uh, the, 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 the foolishness to come into ourselves, that there's a way for us to kind of just, you know, practice and rehearse our, our, ourselves, you know, through this thing and, and what would that look like so i like you know just ending kind of like where we started with the importance of writing groups um particularly me being at this uh ivy league institution um um and this you know way of like is <laughs> in some ways because i'm at penn they sort of like open up and you say yo you can do whatever and, and think and go and one it's a lot but two it's also I think something that is unevenly sort of distributed across our, uh, you know, higher education system in terms of just like, when I was at, when I was at Cheney, when I was at, I was a graduate student at Cheney, it was like, this is the Danielson teaching framework and you need to know how to pass the Danielson teaching framework. And I'm like, there's so much more in our world <laughs> than this. But in some ways they were saying, you know, um, um, you, this is what the state wants to see from you. And you need to be able, so knowing the cost, right? Knowing the cost of that refusal is also, you know, important to the community building. So I guess I'll end by saying that, you know, I'm very open. Anyone can find me online on Twitter, uh, just maybe Chris or Instagram. I, I'm definitely open to kind of continue this conversation about what is the type of work that we want to put out into the world and how we want our voices to really resonate uh, within that and the, and the type of, you know, echoing of our ancestors and the type of freedom um, lines and sentences and, and life-giving traditions that we want to bring with us. Um, I don't think I'll ever be done with that. Um, uh, you know, Kiese Lehman has an amazing talk about revision and that it's this always life going process. Um, and I, I just wanna stay in it and looking for people to join in that whirlwind with. So um, I'm open and maybe Tasha will talk some more too about uh, what this you know looks like. Um, it's very clear that this is the beginning of something for me. Like I know I'm walking into a role, but you know, similar to what you said, Chris, like this, our one experience has been very, very isolating um, as a, a doctoral student, doctoral candidate. And now it's like, it's, it's never been more clear that community is up to me. And so because community is up to me, it's, it's a non-negotiable. So I continue to reach out. I've gotten a few folks I named Bettina, you know, one of the first people to write with me was doc, Dr. Keisha Porcher. Like these folks, if they didn't put their foot in the door for me to wiggle, just a little bit in, like I wouldn't even be having this conversation with you to begin with. Um, and so recognizing that community also probably has layers and like, just for me to, to recognize that, right? Because I try to latch on and people are like, whoa, I got other things to do. 
Um, but there have been folks who have been able to do just one thing or just make a connection. And um, for those of us who are seeking community, I think it's just settling into my spirit today, just recognize that it looks different and different people have different levels of capacity because of the way that, you know, black, indigenous, racially minoritized folks in the academy are overtaxed. They don't have all the same capacity. So if they're not able to kind of just sit and be your person, your forever person, um, just to kind of recognize that and be okay with that. And the, the constant stitching together of community is also going to be on those of us seeking it. So, you know, I feel like just listening to you all was really helpful to me and remembering that. I, I, if I look back over my years, there might've only been a person who said, read this. And I never heard from them again. But when I went to read it, like that person that told me to read June Jordan changed my life. So, um, you know, for sure, I want to stay in touch. I'm only on Twitter. That's my, that's my, look, I'm a dinosaur. Don't, don't be fooled just because I show up on Twitter. That's the only place I am. I ain't got Instagram or nothing, but, you know, um, I, I would love to just be connected with folks who are committed to doing this authentically and to like Sankofa all day, like pulling folks along with us. Um, because if it's not us, then what's the point? Um. Chris, you were saying like senior tenure, and I was like, oh, I guess that's me. Um, I think it's really, I think one of the ways I've been able to not um, be curdled by the academy is I've always been like, I can just leave. Um, and it's it's like a fantasy that's not actually true. I'm told my, because I'm like, I'll just go back to teaching seventh grade. It's fine. But there's no way that's happening. I do not get up at that hour of the day anymore. And I, if I do, I can't like make words and things. Um, but it's a, it's a, was a really productive and remains a really productive. It's not seventh grade, I, I'd say now teaching. But I say other things like, I can do something else besides this. And it just helps to keep at bay. Like, oh, I got to do this. Like, because if I buy into all I got to do this, that's how I lose sight of myself. That's how I lose sense of myself. That's how I might forget that my mother is my forever educator and that she also didn't go past, uh, past a certain grade of school because that really gets in the way of patriarchy, having you know, women you know, collectively educating them. So like it just gets in the way. So yeah, I think um, having productive fictions can very much help and not letting the academy um, dictate who you are because it doesn't get to. I know it, it can and it, it leaves marks, but whatever strategies can that help you, for me, it was having some really productive fictions about like, I'll just leave, I'll just go back to teaching seventh grade, it's fine. And, but this has been a blessing. This has been amazing, thank you so much for letting me um, be with you all today. Thank you all. Uh, I can feel by our graduate students uh, at our year before last um, business meeting had asked for a space like this um, because it isn't just about, you know, do you word, use Word document and track changes? <laughs> Although it is, <laughs> um, but, but contextualizing that right within uh, the realities of that um, of our histories and our futures, I think, has been really powerful for me. So thank you, each of you. I 
it's been very special.